November 10, 2022. Here. And, uh, well, where do we begin? These 7, 3, and 2 Philadelphia Flyers. As just we all expected when the season started, right? Nice, uh, hot team out of the gate. They took down St. Louis the other night, uh, in probably their best game of the season overall, which is, you know, a relatively low bar, all things considered. They take on the Blue Jackets tonight. And, uh... You know, seven, three, and two, Anthony. What do you what do you make of them through the first uh, however many games that is twelve? Well, you know, you look at the process. You know, the shots for and against, the chances for and against, the goal, the expected goals for and against, and you keep waiting for this team to come back to earth. And trust me, there is still loads of time for this <laughs> team to completely implode. So it's not me saying that I've changed my opinion on them. But, I mean, like, as the days go by, as the games go by, as the weeks go by, and the Flyers still keep hanging around in the playoff picture, I mean, there's something to be said about maybe they're just not as bad as we thought, and maybe they're just not as bad as the underlying numbers may suggest. And like I said, we could very well get sit down here in a month's time, and they could be, you know, bottom three in the conference, bottom five in the league. We're like, oh, there they are, you know? But... The one thing that I think is a bit encouraging is that they were playing so poorly in a lot of the games to start the season, and I felt like it wasn't really possible that it could continue to get worse. If anything, it would just probably get better when they got a bit more healthy, when they bought more into Tortorella's system, when some of the younger players learned how to play more consistently at the NHL level. So I just can't see their process getting much worse than it already or than what it has been. And therefore, I don't know if we're going to see this team completely bottom out like we're all expecting. It's difficult. I think Carter Hart has masked a whole lot of their problems. 6-0-2 Carter Hart, 197 goals against, 946 save percentage. You know, has been one of the top two or three goalies in the league to this point of the season. You know, has especially earlier in the year kept him in games, um, you know, to to just a crazy degree. So I think in terms of the record, that's where a lot of these saving graces come from. But I do think that the overall system and whatever it is Tortorella is is placing within this team is starting to come together. And you would think, I mean, by all <laughs> by the eye test, by the analytics, it's just a matter of time before the losses do start piling up. They just, I just, I cannot believe they play this way for a full 82 games and walk away with more victories than losses. You know, it's just a matter of time, I think, um, especially if Carter Hart ends up cooling off at some point. But, you know, so far, so good. I think they're a little bit, I think it was Charlie who was talking about this on Twitter. You know, they're, they're, they're a little less opportunistic now than they used to be. You know, when the season yeah. started and they were, score and they were uh taking 20 shots on goal but somehow winning games you know now they're not really doing a lot of that they're getting more shots they're they're playing a little more you know in the offensive zone but they're not necessarily producing like it the st louis game was the first time all season where it felt like the offense actually kind of came together and uh you know flashed a little bit of uh, potential beyond just a few random tipping goals now and again but you know, some individual players, you're getting a lot out of Travis Konechny. He's still hot. Owen Tippett has looked phenomenal since he's come back. Wade Allison is getting his game together. You know, the rest of the forwards are kind of hit and miss on a night's night basis. But you you are starting to see the foundation come through. And, you know, most of these players are, are trending in the right direction. They do seem to be uh, so far so good on the Tortorella system. So as long as that continues, whether the wins or losses rack up or not the, the, again the, the the results do not matter from a record perspective it all matters about the internal growth that happens this year and so far so good when it comes to that kind of stuff and and i think that one thing that's encouraging is that there's been very few players 
unlike years past where you could single out and be like, yeah, like he's not having a good season by his standards. And look, that's not to say that everyone's playing well. We know that there's a there's a lack of high-end talent on this team. It's no secret for sure. But at least there isn't many players that you could completely point to and be like, you know what, he's really not playing to his like caliber. Like, okay, look, there's guys like Morgan Frost who's been really up and down, but what are we really expecting out of Morgan Frost? The same could be said for a guy like Kiefer Bellows. I think the only guy who really was bad out of the gate was Ristolainen, but I think he responded well last game. And I think that, and I'm going to give him credit here, uh, Jared DM'd me and he said, it's going to be interesting to see Tortorella as the first coach with Ristolainen that actually tries to coach him and not just continue to like deploy him out there to play his game. And I think Tortorella is like his eighth coach since entering Something the like league. Something like that, yeah. So it's crazy. So look, and this isn't, you know, us like carrying water for Ristolainen. He has to own that, that he was really, really bad in his first three games. But let's see what Tortorella and Bradshaw could do with him. And obviously we see what Carter Hart has done, which is just incredible. Felix Sandstrom, very good to see him get his first win because I think he more than deserved it in his first few games. So look, it's nice to see that all the players are more or less playing to where we were expecting them to be. Like, I don't think that there's anyone who's vastly exceeded expectations aside from maybe Carter Hart and now lately, obviously, Owen Tippett, Travis Konechny as well, depending on how you felt about him. But there's no player here that I've been like, oh, my God, like, I really, really expected more of that guy. Like, they're more, their process is more or less the way I expected it to be. But like you said, because of the elite goaltending they've gotten and how opportunistic they were earlier in the season when they weren't really playing well, it's led to a very impressive record to this point. Yeah, and, you know, Ristolainen has not been very good this year. You know, I, I think last year he was fine, like all things considered, yeah. especially where the state of the team was. He was fine. He was doing his thing. You know, Not he, the problem. The hatred towards him has always been exaggerated. Most of the time it's unjustified. But he was very bad to start the year because we can be objective about this kind of thing, believe it or not. You know, he was not very good. But I, I do think Tortorella is going to work on him. And he's doing the same thing with Wade Allison. And, you know, there's a lot of that tough love kind of coming out where he knows where he wants to get them at the end of the day and it's about kind of molding them and teaching them and the the process of trial and error and you know i i, I do think ristolainen could be a good piece for tortorella and it's just going to take a lot of that time to coach and uh you know figure out how to get there and the fact that he missed the first what 10 games of the season or whatever it was you know it doesn't uh doesn't exactly help his uh you know, development process. So it's going to take time. You know, he's a, a little behind compared to where everyone else is at already um, with the proper time under him. But yeah, I, I, I don't have many complaints. You know, Frost is endlessly disappointing. Tanner Lazinski is, you know, doing whatever it is he's doing these days. Um, he's just kind of like there. Like. Well, you know, we, we, <laughs> we talked about this in the off season where Lazinski is going to steal a roster spot for the sole reason that he's a center and they've got very little options down the middle right now. And that's basically what happened. He's on the roster right now because he can play center. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Versatile. Yeah. I, I don't know why they haven't really given him any kind of chance. He's in Tortorella's doghouse for whatever reason, but yeah, other than that, everyone's been doing more or less as expected. The overall picture is disappointing, obviously due to the, you know, lack of talent and, and, and whatnot. But as far as progressing the players that they're looking to progress, again, we're, we're, we're doing good considering we're 12 games into the season. Yeah, like, there's certain guys that I think that you would want more out of. Like, the Morgan Frost stuff, like, I, I guess with Morgan Frost, it, it, like, he's quickly become, like, and I think I, we've already kind of talked about this, like, he's quickly become, like, the most polarizing player on this team because it's kind of like the battle. Like, he's kind of become, like, a Ristolainen where, like, there's no room to be objective. Like, you have to either hate him or you have to think he's next, the next Claude Giroux. And, I mean, with Morgan Frost, like, I've just been consistent that I think he's an NHL player. I don't think he's a liability by any stretch. But given his skill set, I just, I don't know if he's really carved out a niche on this team. And I know the everlasting argument specifically from Bill Meltzer, is just like, well, why don't you play him with, like, Owen Tippett and Noah Cates? Or I heard one person say, play him at center with Konechny and Tippett, like, on the top line. And, I mean, if you were to put Frost there right now, I think, and I do think Kevin Hayes has bounced back, too. Like, I know people are just so conditioned to hate Kevin Hayes, but I think that more or less he's been fine this year. 
But if you were to put Frost right now in the top six and unseat either Lawton or Hayes as one of those centers, you'd be giving him that just based on like what you think he could be as opposed to what he's shown. And I'll give Morgan, Morgan Frost credit that I think that he's really improved his defensive game. I don't think he's a liability out there at all anymore. And that's a credit to him. But it can't be that you improve your defensive game and then your offensive game just disappears on a night-to-night basis. And look, I think that against the Ottawa Senators, he probably had his best game of the season after being healthy scratched in Toronto, his hometown. But then, like, he just kind of goes back to existing in in St. Louis. And for a guy like Morgan Frost, unfortunately, like, there are some players that it doesn't typically matter how much you produce, like, raw points— but for a guy like Morgan Frost, like, it kind of does. Like, I don't think he's the type of guy that you're just going to be like, well, he's playing a good process, like a Lazinski or a Sedlak. Like, I think, like, those are two guys that, like, each and every shift they go out there, they play kind of mistake-free hockey, they they don't give up more than they, than they generate, and they're just kind of out there to be, like, safe players. As opposed to Frost is just, like, with his skill set and what you want this guy to be long-term, I just can't see him being, like, a a low event, no mistake player in your bottom six. Like, I just, I can't say, like, maybe, maybe he just completely reinvents himself. And if he does, that's great. It's just like, it seems that even the coaches are kind of trying to want more from him in that regard. He has uh, two goals and three points through 11 games. Both goals came on opening night. He hasn't had an assist since October 18th, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, eight games ago. Yeah, he's just, you know, if you signed Gaudreau and brought in Debrincat this summer and you want to throw Frost between him as, as the, the playmaker of the bunch, you know, sure, he'll rack up some points. And listen, Frost is much improved from where he was. The, the player I was watching in 2019 with the Phantoms versus who he is today, he is significantly improved, especially defensively. That is a fact, you know, but at the end of the day, he just, he just exists, you know, he, he just... You don't have the high-end offense here. And that was always the excuse last season, right? Remember all the fans? Every time he didn't play with Giroux, his production didn't matter because he wasn't playing with Giroux. Well, guess what? Giroux's not here anymore. You know, you've got nobody on this team that can score with any kind of, you know, <laughs> elite deadly force. So, I don't know. You know, he's just a dude. He just exists. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand why people still try and pump his tires to this level. As you know, Meltzer is just completely off the deep end with this. I, I, I don't know why the fascination to do that is there. I don't know what they want this guy to be, you know, other than the two-point-per-game junior player from five freaking years ago, you know. But I don't know. He, he just He's so irrelevant on a night-to-night basis. And, you know, unfortunately, I feel like way too many of the people on this roster are kind of doing that these days. But, yeah, Frost is... Uh, he just exists. He's not the guy we all thought he was going to be. Maybe he can go undergo some kind of career renaissance. I mean, Scott Lawton did it. You yep. know, Scott Lawton was, you know, projected first-round pick in 2012 and was supposed to go offense and got sent down to the Phantoms and whatever the fuck year that was, 2016 maybe, and came back up and was the two-way stalwart and has been growing his game back ever since, you know. But I, I, Frost doesn't strike me as a player that's going to do something like that. But, you know, he's not necessarily hurting the team by his presence, but he's not going to produce offense on any kind of major scale either. And that's just, that's just where we are with Morgan Frost these days. So I think the uh, expectations need to be dropped on the kid finally. And if he breaks out at some point in the future, whether it's on the Flyers or not, more power to him. But at this point, he's just a random middle six center who should probably be playing on the wing if you want to maximize his value and then, you know, see what he's got. But right now, Morgan Frost is uh, just another dude and unsurprisingly not working very well in the Tortorella system. And I don't think that you, the answer here is to put him as the top line center because for the first time, you know, like we talked about it earlier in the season, that it was because we thought that they were losing mostly because their top line was getting buried. And obviously that's still like a thing, like their top line isn't as good as most other teams top line. But I think for the first time this season, you could look at the Flyers top line and be like, wow, that's really a cut above the rest. Like Owen Tippett, Travis Konechny and Kevin Hayes, they have really separated themselves from the pack. And look, they all lead the team in Corsi. And they're, so they're keeping the puck of where it should be at the other end of the ice. I think Konechny is slowly starting to get a bit better defensively. 
So that is a help. But I mean, it still is kind of a work in progress. The one player that I find is really having a tough go right now is Joel Farabee. And I think that even Scott Lawton's play has kind of suffered. That line, I, I have hopes for. And obviously, they moved, they shuffled Cates down to the bottom six. And Cates, I don't even really blame that he's struggled because they keep trying to force him as a centerman, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird. So I, I'm I'm going to give Noah Cates a free pass because I think if, if, if you would have kept him as a left winger the entire season, this would be a much different story. But I think like guys like Joel Farabee, Scott Lawton's play has dipped a bit. But I think, again, him, you know, he's kind of been become like the the Sean Couturier this year where like someone's struggling so you put Scott Lawton with them so I'm not going to worry about Scott Lawton but like Farabee is a guy to me that like he's not generating a whole lot he's probably the worst defensive player right now five on five he really doesn't kill penalties anymore which we saw under AV a lot Travis Konechny's kind of taken that so I mean like he's a guy well that second line in general I think is what they're trying to figure out right now and now they have Allison up there, which I think is good. Like Allison too, like kind of runs around a bit when he gets too aggressive. But I think that in terms of generating chances, he's probably been their most consistent forward in that regard on an individual scale. So I mean, like it's like, what do you think of that second line? Do you think like that's the biggest thing Tortorella has to work on? Yeah, uh, Faraby. It's so hard to decipher what to make of Joel Faraby. You know, he's coming back from a very serious neck surgery on the earlier end of that timeline. And so there, there is the kind of that built-in cushion of him figuring stuff out. He he was skating during training camp, but I don't think he ever actually took part in any preseason or, or any actual anything there. Um, man, but at the same time, you know, this is kind of the guy that you're banking on to be the young up and coming star of this team, you know, the, the offensive dynamo and, you know, due to injuries over the last couple of years and just the general decayed state that the team is in right now from an offensive perspective, you know, he's really suffering in that regard. And, you know, trying to make him a two-way guy, like it's not the worst thing in the world, but at the end of the day, you know, maybe giving this guy, you know, the the absolute most favorable minutes you can uh, come across here would be would be the best way to go. But he had an assist against St. Louis, had a goal against Toronto, but you know, seven points on the year in twelve games, but he's only scored in four of those games. You know, the the points tend to come in bunches for him. Going back to the Florida game, the Nashville game, and so it's just I, I don't know. Scott Lawton, you know, Scott I, Scott Lawton's doing his job. You know, he's not really out there to to be an offensive dynamo. He's in the top six by default at this point because again, they don't have any center depth. So he gets a free pass. Cates is doing whatever he's doing. Uh, Tippett, I really like Owen Tippett. I really like Wade Allison as well. And I, <laughs> Wade Allison, I I still love Wade Allison. Um, it, it's just the reason he and Tortorella butt heads is is very kind of noticeable. Like Tortorella wants perfection. He wants everyone to do everything right, and he's going to be. You know, that accountability factor. Whereas Wade Allison is a very good player doing a lot of things, but he's not necessarily a figure skater. You know, like perfection is perfection is not his, you know, strong suit. Uh, you know, he's a very messy kind of guy. So I think that's where the Tortorella Allison, uh, you know, headbutting continues there. But, um, yeah, you know, second line needs better. Top line is... is Holding itself together, all things considered, I think Hayes has become a little more consistent over the last few games, whereas earlier in the year he was very hit or miss with his play. Um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of the misfit second line there of guys that need uh, need a little bit of help to to get to their peaks right now. Well, for me, like, I think the best way to describe Hayes is kind of like a bull in a china shop. Like, yeah, that I, works. Not, Hay- not Hayes, sorry, Allison. That works Allison's. too. They both yeah, work, actually. A- yeah, they're kind of a bull in a china shop. And look, Kevin Hayes, I think that he's like he does a lot of the little things right, I think, but he's not overly flashy. And I think that at times, like people like he looks slow. Like he just looks like he's dogging out there at times, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I mean, I don't have a problem with Kevin Hayes. And like the one thing about Tortorella that I've seen is that like he's really kind of like deployed his best players in a position to succeed. And I look at, like, the offensive zone start percentage among forwards, and, like, Konechny and Hayes lead the team, as does Farabee. And I think Farabee falls in that bracket because he was with Hayes and Konechny 
for a while on that top line. You know, Konechny is at 55%. Hayes is at 54.6% in offensive zone percentage starts. And then you look down the lineup and you look at a guy like Morgan Frost, who's fourth from the bottom uh, with only Lawton, McEwen, and Bellows under him with 37.5. And I could see why people would be upset by that. Well, it's just like, oh, well, you know, well, there there you go. He's getting buried and he's only getting 10 minutes a, a night at five on five and this and that. But I think with Tortorella, he's very big on earning your spot. Yeah. And I think we saw that with Allison that he wasn't playing sound hockey in all aspects, but he was very noticeable offensively. And then as soon as he started, you know, rein his game in a bit, now he's up on the second line. And now he's getting that second power play time. And I know people get mad, but how can you really blame Tortorella for giving a guy like Zach McEwen his cookies? You know, like, and look, we know that Zach McEwen isn't going to score his pace for the rest of the season. We know that process-wise, him too, he's not exactly the most sound player on all accounts. But I think McEwen has really improved his game, although it was a very he low He understands bar. the assignment that he's supposed to be playing right now. Exactly. He and understands his role under under Tortorella. And that's kind of been the early story here of these guys is the ones that get it are, are being favored and the ones that are struggling are not. And that's just, you know, that, that was what we should have expected from Tortorella from the beginning. That's what accountability means. You know, getting your ice time if you deserve it. And in Ristolainen's case, when he got scratched the other night, you know, he was playing like shit, they scratched him. You know, this is the kind of shit that's been missing from this team for friggin' ever now. You know, so it's just in that sense, you know, we're seeing a lot of it up and down the lineup. And even in Ristolainen's case, if you go back to his time in Buffalo, like, it, people have been shitting on this guy for years. Yeah. But, but every coach still deployed him as the number one defenseman on their top pair. So for this guy, and I don't think that a lot of these players run to check their analytics. I don't think that's something they'd really give a shit about a lot. But I think that if you have a player like Ristolainen, who has no accountability, and every coach is just like, well, he's the best guy I got, so we're going to keep just trotting him out there as the number one defenseman. I don't think there's ever going to be a case where a player tries to fix himself. Because he's getting paid, he's getting the ice time. In, in Buffalo, he was scoring 40-plus points a year, specifically because of the power play. So why did he care? But now he comes to Philadelphia. In short order, A.V. gets relieved of his duties. And then Mike Yo last year, and I'm not going to blame Mike Yo because there was no Ryan Ellis, just keeps playing him out there out with Travis Sanheim. And I don't think Ristolainen was bad last year by any stretch. Like I think the Sanheim-Ristolainen pair was probably the farthest thing from the issue yep. last year. In terms of what went wrong, Jesus, what went wrong, <laughs> easy enough for me to say. And um, now we get a situation where the Flyers have a top pair that I think is working well. Do I think they're like the best top pair in the league? No. Do I think they're a passable top pair? Yeah, I do. I think that you could maybe ask them to be a bit more sound defensively sometimes. I think that maybe they could drive play a little bit more. But I mean... I think overall, D'Angelo and Provorov have been decent, solid as a top pair, especially considering how much they've been forced to defend. I think that whoever the bottom pair has been, either Nick Sealer and Igor Zamula, let's say primarily, has been very good in terms of what is expected out of them. But I think the issue here has been more times than not that middle pair, which is Travis Sanheim, who like, look, I... I don't think he's been overtly bad, but there's clearly another level to his game that he needs to get to. And I do think that's a bit, and we have to say consistent here, I do think a bit of this is the fact that there has been an instability on his right side, kind of like with Provov last year. You know, he's played with Braun. He took a few, did he take a few shifts with the Igor Zamula in uh, Ottawa? Yes. Was it? So we had Zamula play there, Ristolainen, obviously, for a cup of coffee, and they had a really bad night against Toronto, but... Sanheim needs to get his game back to where it was last season. I don't really care so much about the offense because even though you want him to generate more, but they're using him as such like a defensive shutdown guy. And if you saw that article on Daily Faceoff, a lot of executives think he is that type of defenseman as well. What? And, pardon me? What? <laughs> yeah, you didn't see the Daily Faceoff article? No. They it think Travis Sanheim is a shutdown defenseman? Holy yeah, fuck. Yeah. Frank Cervelli pulled five NHL GMs and they had him ranked number five. So, huh? 
because I think when you see, but do you've been saying the same thing a lot? Is that like I think it's also that you have we have to remember, and you've said this several times, is that shutdown D nowadays isn't what it used to be. Like well, it's that's not true. like it's not like Darian Hatcher and Jason Smith are gonna come over the boards. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? And they're gonna like grind it out along the wall and just like hit everyone and slash. I think Travis Sanheim is considered a shutdown D because of his range and because of how well he could skate and because of how well he could move the puck up the ice. So he helps you defend less. And to your point, like you've been saying for a long time, he's not a guy that when he gets it in the offensive zone is going to wheel and deal and walk the line and this and that. So I think for him, a lot of teams just look at his length, his range, his skating, his ability to get the puck out, and that to them is considered a shutdown defenseman nowadays. And for Ristolainen, I've said it on Twitter a few times, is that I do think that this guy is extremely miscast because people see it or coaches see his size. They see his skill set. They're just like, man, like he should be like an Eric Chernak. Yeah, that, that's the type of D he should be. But I think he's an offensive defenseman. I am I th- stunned the Flyers have never given him much of a chance when it comes to offense. You know, this, I, and I, yeah, I guess he can't take the same role he did in Buffalo, you know, scoring 40 points and whatnot. But, you know, last, I mean, last season they never really gave him the shot. I believe Mike Yell kind of caved in towards the end of the season there and started uh, giving him that opportunity. But I don't know. This is a guy that, you know, he's a big dude with a hell of a slab shot and a track record of, you know, producing at least a little bit of points. And this is now three coaches that have really kind of limited his uh, minutes offensively here. So, I don't know. Interesting. I think for them, and look, and this is more of an indictment on Chuck Fletcher, but the the thing is, is that when they got Ristolainen, I think that was more going to be the case that they had Ryan Ellis to be that all situations yeah. type of D. And then you had Justin Braun to play on the third pair. And then Ristolainen was going to be like that guy you could use offensively a bit more. Like I thought that Sanheim and Ristolainen were going to be the guys that got more ozone star percentage. But then now that you've kind of gone in with Tony D'Angelo and Ivan Provorov, and they've been more the offensive pair. And I will say like D'Angelo is a lot better defensively than I thought, especially with his... He's stick, been more consistent I, defensively than I thought. He's he's yeah. had his moments, especially was it the Toronto game or the uh, yeah, Rangers yeah. game? I think was real bad. But you know, uh, there there have been moments where you see the you know we've all seen the D'Angelo highlights over the years when he was with different teams where he would just completely fall apart defensively, and we've seen that a couple times. But he's been far more consistent defensively than I was expecting him to be. That's for sure. Like he's not Goss's Spear two point oh. Not quite now. So, like, I think D'Angelo and Provorov have been good in their own right, decent as a top pair. Like, that's just not something that I would peg at their feet, like, for any of the shortcomings this year. But now you've basically wanted to lean on Sanheim and either Braun or Ristolainen as your shutdown pair. So, Ristolainen, to me, right now, when I look at this team, is that he has to find a way to change his game which is a lot to ask from this guy (laughs) for sure at this stage of his career or he doesn't really have a role on this team because D'Angelo's your top offensive defenseman Provorov is probably number two I think that eventually one of your younger guys in Zamula or Andre is probably going to step up in that way as well Ronnie Adder too you could speak to that more than me I think they need him to be a shutdown guy with Travis Sanheim and I'm skeptical to think that that could happen yeah, they're going to... My guess is Adderd eventually takes over for D'Angelo, provided they don't fucking resign D'Angelo to an eight-year contract, which is all they know how to do these days. But, uh, you know, I think Adderd is, is more along the lines of a D'Angelo clone. At least that's what he is showing very early in his career here. Kind of the so offensive, offensively. Offensive he's... defenseman who can hold his own defensively is kind of what we're getting out of uh, Ronnie Adderd thus far. Um so, very similar along those lines. So, I don't think he's going to relieve the pressure of Ristolainen. I don't really know what the hell you do with Ristolainen. Um, you know, you don't have much help coming internally on that right side, outside of Adderd. And it's just, I don't know. Unless you move Zamul over to the right side full time. and I think that could be something. Honestly, like, uh, that, that guy Jared, too, like, he's tweeted me a bunch of times about, like, move York to the right side. But I think... I think Zamula is a guy with his skill set, and I love the way he breaks up plays at his own blue line off the rush. I think that's his best asset. And I think with his range, like, 
he's a guy that can maybe transition to the right side full time. What what do you think? You've watched him more than me. Like, is he a guy that you would really try and commit to that right side on a full time basis? You could. Uh, he's pro- I mean, he's certainly better suited for it than York is. I think York has more raw talent right now, so he looks fine in that role, especially when he's alongside Provorov towards the end of last season. But I think Zamula is just going to play a very simple defensive style. And if you have to put somebody on the right side, Zamula makes sense. I really dislike that they're doing that. That's just, I, I, I don't agree with the idea of playing young kids out of position. That really kind of drives me nuts, especially when it's for somebody like fucking Nick Sealer who's playing on the left right now. You know, I, I would prefer Zamul on the left, get his feet wet there, let him get in into already, and then move over to the right if need be. But if they are hell-bent on doing it, Zamula does fit the bill for somebody like that. And he's had his ups and downs this year. I think he's had very, very good moments, and then he's had very bad moments where, you know, kind of the welcome to the NHL moments kind of thing, um, where he's he's working through it, but considering he's still here and still getting regular ice time, you got to assume Torts likes the guy. You know, you've got 15 bodies on the freaking blue line right now in the AHL that they could always call up if they wanted to. One being Cam York. So if they like Zamula, they clearly you know, see something with him on the right side there. So they could do that moving forward and then go, you know, Adder, Zamula, Ristolainen on the right in time. Uh, man, I guess it all depends on how, you know, Zamula and Adder both end up developing, but that's a possibility, uh, you know, moving forward and either play York as the third pair lefty or deal York for somebody else, which I'm still pretty convinced they do, but you got Prover and Sanheim locked up long-term, so I think it's crucial to find both of them long-term partners that work well with their games. I think Zamula as a stay-at-home kind of guy that's just going to be very good but very quiet, eh, that could work well with Sanheim's game, especially if they see him as more of the you know puck-moving offensive guy long-term. Like kind of like a low-event defenseman type thing? Yeah. Kind of like a Justin Braun-esque. You know, he's out there, not going to make too many mistakes, but he's going to do his job right. They essentially need Justin Braun circa, like, 2016. Yeah, they need Justin Braun just about, you know, 15 years younger. He's even been good, honestly. (laughs) Like, I I have no... Like, I never have anything bad to say about Justin Braun. And, you know, I I was asking some people yesterday, like, uh, or the day before. I don't know. My days are all mixed up. But about had they gotten any calls on Justin Braun. Uh, because like I look at a lot of teams like let's say Toronto or Ottawa like that need help specifically on that right side and you know they they told me they're not looking to trade him right now but they expect there there to be like a big market for him and I'm wondering like is there a possibility especially now that he's playing a lesser role so he looks better if you're scouting him his numbers are better like is there a possibility that they get more for Justin Braun at this year's trade deadline than they got last year what was it last year just a third round pick yeah, just a third. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a third and a fourth. Maybe I don't know if you get a second for the guy unless some team's real desperate, but you can probably squeeze an extra round, a mid-late round pick out of him for that. And how have you found, like, the guys? Like, we kind of already touched on McEwen, but guys like Sedlak, Delorier, like, how, how have you found, like, them? Like, do you think, like, they're playing their role more or less fine? Sedlak's doing his job. Delorier, man. This guy is such a high end for left wing. I think he's the bottom six. He's probably been on the third line quite a bit lately. But my God, De- Delorier! <laughs> put this on Twitter the other day, and everyone was just so fucking angry that I'm, you know, praising a depth forward. But uh, man, he's been doing his job. He, he looks real good doing what he's out there doing. And I'm a, I don't want to say I'm a fan of Nick Delorier, but you know, from expecting him to just kind of not be a problem going out there and doing his thing to him being like a legit net positive for this team right now. That is a, that's big. That's a big, little signing there. I still fucking don't understand why he's here for four years, but, uh, you know, considering all of the shit that we've sifted, uh, sifted through on the fourth line over the last handful of years for the flyers to have somebody like Delorier who's, who's legit in that role. It's definitely a breath of fresh air. And I've very much enjoyed watching him play hockey thus far. And I think that's why, like, when he signed that contract, like, I, I still agree that four years for him was a bit, like, whoa. Especially he's going to be 35 at that time. Yeah, but, like, in but what I didn't like, and I think this comes back to just the, my frustration, I think you're in the same boat, the general frustration of the inability to be objective. Like, you could say... Like, yeah, I don't think that contract made much sense for where the Flyers were at, but also say... But I think that in his role, he's going to be more than fine and probably a better fourth liner. Like, 
he's never been a bad player or yeah. maybe he has but recently he's not a bad hockey player he's a pretty good hockey player given fourth liners yeah. but and he brings your intangibles he could fight but he makes plays like he's not just he's a playing dude. well yeah he's not out there just a you know he's not jay rosehill he's not at the well i guess jay rosehill that awesome spinorama move all those years ago but he's not <laughs> out there just to punch people in the face like he's actually legitimately playing hockey like, what and more could you ask for your fourth line? Yeah, he can punch people in the face and fight, and he's got a creepy-looking mug. Like, the guy's there. He's just, he's your ultimate depth forward. Like, what more could you want out of the guy? And if you were, like, I, I've maintained that, like, that contract would have made sense for, like, a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because if you look at players around the league like Nick Delorier, and I think, like, guys like Matt Martin and Ryan Reeves are significantly worse hockey players the Nick Delorier, I think that, like, this is a guy that, like, it was pretty par for the course, the contract you gave him, to be honest with you. Like, again, like, from a Flyers perspective and their cap situation, obviously you just passed on Johnny Gaudreau, and, but apparently he's not even doing too well this year. But it, I get it, but, like, there's a way that you could acknowledge, like, two things at the same time. Like, still with Ristolainen, like, people are just, like, I said, like, kind of on Twitter the other day, like, yeah, like, I admit that I was probably wrong for thinking that re-signing him was a good idea. And then, obviously, everyone comes out of the woodwork, like, oh, he's the worst ever, like, he's not. It was like, just the timing of the re-signing that was dumb. The, the message at the time, he signed in, what, late February, early March last year? Well, I guess this yeah. year, last season. But, you know, at that time, the message was... We're going to have an aggressive retool and be competitive next year. Okay, so you look at the defensive market, and it was Ristolainen and Klingberg on the right side, and that was it. The only two names of any kind of substance whatsoever. You know, other than a few of the depth guys out of Labushkin and whatnot. But you resigned him at a cap hit that was less than what he was already making with the anticipation of this team being competitive and he was having a decent season, all things considered. At the time, okay, fine. I didn't like the term, but the, whatever, fine. You want him back, that makes sense. And then you go on to the summer and you fucking Chuck Fletcher there with his thumb up his ass and didn't get a goddamn thing done. And now there's shit this season. And now you got this guy under contract for the fucking rest of time. You know, his play has been slightly diminished, uh, diminished open the year and you have so much money committed to this blue line it doesn't make sense now and i'm willing to admit that why the fuck they resigned this guy is beyond me at this point but at the time of the signing i was totally okay with it because of the situation that the team was supposed to be in going to the offseason in this year and the, and the thing is is that it still doesn't solve like even if you had traded ristolainen like okay i guess you could have gone in you could have like, john klingberg a stupid contract or something yeah, I mean, like, in an ideal world, like, what would you have done? Like, gone after, like, a Jan Ruda type of thing? Per yeah, if, they, if, if if I had to do something, they would have been Ruda. But, you know, or even that, like, Bushkin, like... You know, yeah, one of those uh, good, solid depth guys. Yeah, and I, I, I get what they want to do. I get that they want stability on that back end because I think that they're, in their mind, their biggest issue has been that they haven't found consistent partners for... um profiling in Sanheim enough but like I mean like a guy like Jan Ruda like I think like he would have been the best but then you probably would have had to outbid <clears throat> pardon me the the Pittsburgh Penguins on a decent contract for that guy and like I mean like is he gonna want to sign here and I think that's enough like one thing about Chuck Fletcher is that it seems like he doesn't really like to take his swings in free agency like he seems like a guy who much Ain't more likes truth. He much prefers to try and get his stuff done in via trade. He much prefers to do nothing at all and waste another year of the franchise. Yeah, it's going to be really curious to see what they do next summer. Oh, like, I can't wait. I can't wait till the 2023 offseason. Like, is there any way... Like, I guess it, it really depends what happens with these injuries. Because now, like, you pretty much have to, like assume that Ryan Ellis is never coming back. So you can add He's more or less done. Yeah. Yeah. So he, and I was told that some, a Western conference general manager told me that. So that, so it's an open would, secret. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's an open secret amongst like the NHL world. So, so you add $6 million there. I'm wondering what they do with Hayes and connect me. Those are two guys. Those are the two I'm, guys. I'm curious about as well. Yeah. Especially because Hayes. 
more than anything. Because yeah. especially, you, you need to upgrade center. Like, that is, should be priority number fucking one going into this summer. And in order to do that, you got to clear some money. And Hayes' contract should be, you know, if you clear Kevin Hayes, then you can go big game hunting for a legitimate center, a top six center. So that would be, uh, that'd be interesting as well. Konechny, I mean, you could sell high in the guy. And the problem is, I feel like what we're going to have the problem with Konechny is what the fans always point out, which is, we can't trade this guy because he's bad, but now that he's playing well, it's, we can't trade him because he's playing well. You know, so uh, yeah. Hayes and Konechny would be the two interesting ones as far as job security goes going into the uh, the off season. that would make the most sense to move, but whether or not they do, it'll be a, a different story. Konechny is very interesting, right? Because, like, he has a very value contract, but he only has two years left after this. So what are you going to be paying this guy after? You have a lot of depth at right wing. Like, you have Forster coming. You have Allison. If Tippett could transition full-time to the left wing, that gives them a lot of options. That would mean a lot for this team. Like, Tippett, like, doesn't he kind of remind you like, a Joffrey Lupul type? Like that type of player. Yeah, that's a solid comparison. Like, like just twenty five. Like it was so weird. Some idiot from some random podcast like started like because I said I think he has a twenty five thirty goal ceiling. Anyway, like it was so weird. It was like someone took that's on the high end. But yeah, if he plays the way, and this is the thing with uh, Tippett and going back to last season, they acquired him. Like he was always doing shit the right way. It was just a matter of whether or not the results came. And he's been doing that again ever since he came back from injury. Same thing. I've loved the way he played, and it's just a matter of that you know offense start to kind of trickle in. So you would think if he keeps playing the right way, sooner or later the results are going to start coming. So I I think a twenty to twenty five goal ceiling, thirty on the high end, would be totally fine for Tippett. Like, I think 25 is probably right in yeah. the middle. You know, I'd, like... I'd settle for that. And and like you said, like, I remember I was talking to someone who scouted him in junior and even when he was still in the AHL, and he told me that the thing with Tippett that was kind of scary is that he was such a volume shooter that it could kind of dupe you into thinking he was better than he was, but he always had trouble converting once he got to the NA, to the pro level. And it's true that, like, he's always been, like, a volume shooter getting chances, but he's really struggled to convert. Now, three goals in seven games, which is good. It's, like, a, I think it's a 35-goal pace. Obviously, he's not going to to sustain that. I think he has a very high shooting percentage right now. Like, it's 18% or something. So I don't think that's sustainable. But even if it dips, like, by a quarter, let's say. Like, I think tw- the, the mid-20s. 18.8 shooting percentage. So that's a very high shooting yeah. percentage, and it's not sustainable. But even if it dips by like a quarter, like it goes down to 14% or whatever, or, you know, even if it goes down by half, like I don't think it will go all the way down by half. But I think that this guy that at this point, obviously it's only seven games. He's hovered around eight for the rest of his career. He's hovered around eight the rest of his yeah. career. So, I mean, even if you chop it in half, and I, I think that it, it will increase because from eight, let's just say 10%. Given the role he's playing right now, it'll, it'll probably be higher than eight. Yeah. So let's say that like it, it stays at 10. That's 20 to 25 goals. Yeah. I think that his absolute ceiling is 25 to 30 because I just like his skill set and I like how he back checks and everything. But I think at this point, he's pretty much a slam. Well, no, you can't even say slam dunk. I think a safe projection is 20 to 25. And I think his absolute ceiling is probably 25 to 30. If Tippett becomes a regular 20-goal scorer, like, that's that's more than good out of somebody like that. You know, some uh, draft pick that wasn't, that was struggling with his previous team, he picked him up with, you know, the son of Claude Giroux, and he got him, he develops into a 20-goal guy, and, you know, he's playing the game the right way. And because he's playing the game the right way, especially with this fucking team, you know, he's going to get plenty of ice time to go out there and do whatever it is he's doing, and... You know, the lack of offense may help him in this situation if he had a legitimate playmaker to go out there and, you know, help set him up a little bit, then maybe better. But overall, like, I really enjoy watching Owen Tippett play hockey. You know, the results hopefully come in time, but so far, you know, he, he's still in that level, kind of the honeymoon phase of this whole thing, especially since he's coming back from injury, you know, where I'm willing to forgive the lack of, you know, piling up goals at this point because he's playing the right way. you got to assume that this stuff comes in time. And again, as the season goes on here and we all get more comfortable with the John Tortorella system hopefully that uh the, the progress continues to show and i think that what what's going to come of this higher end of the top six is really what's going to interest me here because also what happens with cam atkinson like as i was on the ice you want to talk about cam atkinson today so <laughs> the 
report, I guess Tortorella this morning was talking to the media, and he sure made it sound like Cam Atkinson is, like, living in Columbus right now. Like, he has not been with the team for weeks. And then he went out for morning skate. Now, he's not back with the team. He's just there because they're in, they're in Columbus tonight. But he's out there, and he's smiling, and he's having a good time, and he's moving well. You know, his arm isn't in a cast. His leg isn't snapped in half. He's not wearing a full cage. So, <laughs> does anybody know what the hell's going on with Cam Atkinson? What, uh, what, what's the issue here? You would think if he was in any kind of legitimate medical danger or something was holding him back, they wouldn't even let him morning skate. But, uh, I don't know. I, I have no idea what the hell to make of this. Just, just another fucking mystery of the injuries of the Philadelphia Flyers is what the hell is going on with Cam Atkinson? I was told, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that it's one of those injuries that they really don't have a timeline it seemed like it was a freak accident. I can't even keep up anymore with all this random injuries that happens to this team. Like, obviously, Ryan Ellis, I guess you say that's a bit of an, an anomaly because the guy has just been so injured in his career that it just finally took a toll on him. Sean Katoria's back is falling apart, so but at least we know exactly what's wrong with him. But Cam Atkinson, like... Do we? It's like, Do we know what the hell's wrong with Sean Katoria? Well, his back is finished. Oh, well, yeah. More or less. <laughs> like, I mean, All right. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to use technical terms, but I mean, the guys had It's what? a back problem. They've alerted back us pro- it's a back problem. Beyond that, we don't really know, though. I, look, I, I, the back is such a touchy thing, right? Like, it's basically, it stabilizes your entire body. So, I, like, I'm not going to try and play doctor here, but we know it's his back. He's had, what, two surgeries? Two surgeries in the, in the, last... In the last year, yep. Yeah, so that's a big issue. But with Cam Atkinson, I don't know what it is. Like, it's I haven't been able to get an exact indication as to what Cam Atkinson's injury is. But all we know is that it's very it's a very fluid situation. No one has a hard timeline on it, and it sounds a lot like Ryan Ellis. But I don't think it's going to be like Ryan Ellis. Maybe it is. Who knows? But I mean, it, it's very bizarre because like. I almost wonder because if Cam Atkinson never played again, that essentially meant that you got you dumped Jake Forcheck for nothing, correct? More or less, yeah. So if that ultimately was the case, is that like a good thing? The guy has a goal and five assists this season so far. Jake Man, it's so you know, Voracek has been such a weird player since going to uh, you know Columbus. He had what, like three goals last year or something like that? Yeah, five, I think. Had uh, six goals and 56 assists last season. 62 points in 79 games. You know, it's, I guess he had nine goals in Philly in 2021. Jesus Christ. But, you know, (laughs) you got rid of Voracek more or less for cap reasons. And I think he was pretty much done with Aline Vigneault as well. Um, which is the only story that's kind of come out since. But you, you cleared him out in his 8-point-whatever-it-was cap hit for an extra year of Atkinson, but it was at 5.8. Um, so, you know, you saved yourself a little bit of money, but you got rid of him for a roster player. You know, in Atkinson, an, <laughs> an aging roster player. He's going to be 34. You know, I uh, I don't know. It's, it, hmm. I guess it's not great value in the sense, but, you know, at the time it made sense, and it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, what hindsight's twenty twenty for, for the Flyers, and uh, they've had a lot of these things recently where you do something at the time and it's fine, but you know, wait a month or two and shit just hits the fan and splatters all over the fucking room. And uh, it's going to be one of those situations, I guess, because who the fuck knows if we ever see Atkinson again? Who knows? Like, how are you down? Ryan Ellis is probably already done. Christ knows what's going on with Sean Couturier. And now Atkinson is in limbo as well. How does this happen to this team? Does this happen to other teams regularly and I just miss it? What in the fuck? Well, like, Cam Atkinson... Well, the reason why I'm okay with it still is because I think that nowadays you're not trading Jake Kvorchek. I think you're stuck with a guy like Jake Kvorchek. Because in a flat cap world... Is he in the last year of his deal or does he have one more year? One more year. So $8.25 million for like a 60 to 65 point guy is like, eh. But now this year, a goal and five is... You got out of him at the right time before everyone got super cheap. Yeah. And 
if I mean, because I'm looking at like this team and like, look, Ryan Ellis never going to play again. So that's six point two five million dollars available for you. Cam Atkinson, like the contract isn't egregious, but like, is it possible that they could put all these guys on LTIR long term? Like as of right now, you only have Patrick Brown and Ryan Ellis. Sean Couturier is just on regular IR with James Van Riemsdyk. Like they are playing like someone pointed out to me the other day that they're playing like with $25 million not on their roster right now. So like, yeah, it's true. I'm saying like, this is, this is kind of like what I've asked is that they have about $25 million on their bench more or less. And I think that if everyone was healthy, it would be tight, but they would be cap compliant. So barely, but it, they would be. They could piece it together with the ELCs and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So let's say you found two players if you just added $25 million, or just let's shave off $23, million just so that we know that whatever, like there's no, like uh, there's some breathing room, let's say. So let's say you added Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews to this team. You just plopped them in and out came Morgan Frost and Lucas, or I don't know, who would you take out? Morgan Frost and Kiefer Bellows, let's sure. say. How much better is this team? It would help not only when you have two high-end offensive players, but everyone below them would kind of fit better into their roles. Kevin Hayes would not be the bonafide number one C. He'd be number two C. You know, you'd get better out of him. Perfect scenario. He'd probably be three C at this point in his career. And Konechny would have legitimate people to play with if he wanted to be on the left side or if Marner's on the left side, however that worked out. You know, Farabee, you know, it's just it would not only help the team in the sense that you have people that can produce offense on their own, but you have people that can spark the rest of the team around them. And that's a that's a that's a big one. I think that was part of the big reason why I was so angry in the summer, why you just let this team go and why you're already seeing the early dividends of you know, the lack of offense is, is, is it doing more harm than good? Letting these guys go out there without any legitimate star power. If you added the star power to this roster, everyone gets better because of it, you know? So that's, you know, in a perfect world, if you could do whatever you have to do with this $23 million to, to either get it healthier, get it the fuck off this team and spend it somewhere else, you know, that would, uh, that would need to be uh, pretty high. I, I don't know. I would need to look into all this IR and LTIR and how this directly affects the cap. It's not just quite as simple as clearing six and a half million dollars. You know, it, it, there's all kinds of rules and shit to this and, and whatnot. I mean, you don't have a goddamn law degree to figure it out, but you know, uh, yeah, that, you know, when you put it that, I don't think I've ever actually heard somebody say that yet. When you put it that way, when you put $25 million between Ellis Couturier, JVR and fucking Cam Atkinson on the bench right now, that's a, that's a pretty substantial chunk of money in, you know, four of your theoretical key players that are that are missing from this team well it's i i kind of started to think about it obviously jared mentioned it to me but then i started looking at it and a lot of people have said like well you know like this is how they're playing and they're a capped out team and i'm just like but but they're not on like, a technicality they are not, really. they are not no and so i i just use martin matthews as just two arbitrary names who kind of like combined fit that salary criteria so i look at it if you did that, like you just added those two million, those two guys, because I think combined their, their cap hit is like uh, 22 and a half. If I'm not mistaken, Matthews and Martyr combined more or less. So I look at like, if that in this hypothetical situation and you're, you have this, these are your forward lines. You have Farabee, Matthews, Marner, Tippett, Hayes, Konechny, Cates, Lawton, Allison, and then you have Delorier, Sedlak, and Lazinski, or McEwen. And then your defense is the same, and your goaltending is the same. I like. I don't think that's a bad roster. Is it cup contending? No, I don't think that their middle six is strong enough, or more so their third line. I think they would have to figure out like how good Cates actually is, and if Lawton could hang as a three C. But I mean, Cates, Lawton, Allison is. A, decent third line yeah. there's the their first line today would essentially become their second line like how bad is that like how bad is that team and the, the reason i ask about it and look obviously this is 
very dependent on what Chuck Fletcher's going to do next summer, which obviously he hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt in any regard. But let's say they, let's say like those three guys are not coming back. Well, we know JVR won't be coming back. Alice is. Oh, don't count your chickens on that one. (laughs) Resign seven by seven. Um, two by two, I could totally fucking see it. Just to piss me off. Like, the sole reason. Just to piss Dan the Flyer fan off. But let's just say hypothetically... Well, it's not hypothetically. Ellis isn't going to come back. JVR's gone. Atkinson is on LTIR and Katorio's on LTIR. Although, and I know that you could only exceed the cap by 10 million or 10% in the summer. So that would obviously play a factor. But let's just say you signed... Again, hypothetically, Larkin and Pasternak, that you each gave them $10 million a year, hypothetically. I suggested that earlier in the week. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's why I'm bringing it up. And then you come in next season with that roster that I just said, but instead of Matthews and Marner, it's Larkin and Pasternak. Again, how far off are we from a decent team? It's a big step in the right direction. And I'm willing to take that at this point. You know, we don't have to build a goddamn cup contender just yet. Just give me some legitimate talent and a goddamn playoff run ahead of us. You know, that would be, I think, the idea next season. You know, and and adding a Larkin and Pasternak, if by the grace of God they both hit free agency and Chuck Fletcher isn't such a goddamn stupid motherfucker to go out there and can actually sign these players rather than be a... (laughs) But, you know... It would be substantial, and and I think you need to overhaul your centers a little bit more than that. You know, Larkin is good, but you need some serious help down the middle. But it would be a hell of a place to start, and if you can get some consistency out of Tippett, like we were talking about, and Konechny can stay hot, provided they would keep him around in this scenario, you know, that's a pretty feasible top line, middle six, you know, you can make that work. If you get the most out of guys like Allison and Cage shows up, you you can piece together something, a, a worthwhile team there that probably is not a cup team, but could push during the regular season for a playoff run and make some things happen there. You know, I, I think it is a good foundation. And, and that's the ultimate point of this season. That's what we're doing here this year is to see who you can weed out, who's here long term, and I guess whose career is over based off random freak injuries. You know, some. Who the hell knows if Couturier comes back? I mean, the timeline is three to four months on Couturier, which means that, especially if he's on the lighter end of that, you know, timeline, he should be back before the end of the season, theoretically. You know, whether they let him play or whatever becomes of that, you know, I guess I'll wait and see on that one. But, you know, I, I, I don't think you can sit here and rely on Couturier as an internal fucking re-signing. It's just as good as a free agent. <laughs> Bullshit Chuck Fletcher's going to pull, you know. Uh, you can't rely on that. I don't think you can rely on Hayes or Frost or any of that shit. Even Gauthier and Denoyer, if they both show up next season, you know, you should probably find a little bit of help, uh, veteran help down the middle, at least a good solid middle six guy. Um to make that. But yeah, listen, a couple high-end pieces I think would take this team substantially better than where they are right now. And I guess that's my my whole argument here is that like I don't think that given what this team has had to work with, it's been a bad season. And that's why like when we opened the show and we were talking about that no one has really underperformed given their individual standards and expectations and their relative expectations. I think for that, it's been encouraging. Like, even, like, I don't know how much this team would be better if JVR, Katori, and Atkinson were playing. Like, I obviously don't think they cumulatively, Jesus Christ, make up the the same value as a Larkin and a Pasternak or a Harder and a Matthews, obviously. But, I mean, in let's say you had those three playing instead of Bellows... McEwen and Frost or Sedlak or whatever, how much better would this team's process be? Like, I mean, by all accounts, like, JVR's not a bad hockey player. Katori's not a bad hockey player. Atkinson would give you some more punch. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I think, and look, again, this isn't me saying that they're a cup contender even with those three guys. Like, obviously not. Obviously, they're all, like, on the wrong side of 30 and all that. They're Atkinson specifically is really getting up there in age but I just I think it is important to remember how much money they have sitting on the sidelines right now because it is very substantial 
Atkinson would be a nice little offensive punch. Couturier, even at this point in his career, if, if he could not replicate the offense without Giroud, he still got, you know, one of the better two-way centers in the game, you know, especially for as much time as the Flyers spend defending every night. You know, having somebody like Couturier would probably be a big plus. And uh, JVR, you know, you could have somebody stand in front of the net in the power play, you know, what they fucking do. But, uh, yeah, it would be a... A better team, obviously. I don't think it'd be anything, you know, overly substantial. Maybe it'll help make their wins a little easier on a night-to-night basis rather than, you know, ripping them out of the jaws of defeat every night. But, yeah, you know, a lot of work to do and uh, a lot of questions to answer when it comes to these big-money contracts that are all in limbo right now with, uh, with the injuries. And then tonight they got a chance to get their third win in a row against an extremely disappointing Columbus team. Yeah, uh, they got uh, Columbus tonight, as I wait for this page to load. Columbus tonight, Ottawa on Saturday, the Giroux homecoming game, and then a uh, game against Dallas on Sunday, and then a Columbus again next week, too. So, yeah, they have a decent stretch here. Like, rack they, up they some points. Ch- Boston, <laughs> Montreal, Calgary, Washington, Pittsburgh, Islanders. So, next two weeks here, they do have a chance to rack up, uh, rack up some points. Pad them uh, from losing a few games later. Yeah, I mean, like, even if they picked up, like, six of the next eight points and that brought them to 22 points, like, I mean, like, look, eventually, like, I'm not expecting them to, you know, stay in the playoff hunt all season. Like, I don't expect them to the collapse be on is going to happen sooner or later. It's got to. But I think it's going to be, like, a slow and steady collapse because, as you pointed out, I don't see there being, like, a 10-game losing no, streak. No, I, I don't think this team is going to, to completely tailspin like we saw last year. I just don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, I, I think the losses are probably going to start happening more than the wins. It's just, <laughs> you open the show with this, it's like, by all accounts, both visually and analytically, like, it sure suggests this pace is unsustainable, but somehow they keep pulling it out. But, man, you just got to imagine that, and that it won't last forever. You know, we're only 12 games in. You still got, you know, what, 70 to go. So, um, you know, we shall see, I guess. I just think that, like, it's going to be in a way where, like, for every five games, like, you lose three or four. Yeah. And then yeah. after, like, a 20-game sample size, like, it's just like, oh, they're out of it now. That's it drags how you down to 500 and then below 500 eventually. And, yeah, I projected 33 wins when the season started. So I, I still think that's a comfortable number to finish around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, like, it, like I wouldn't be surprised if they linger around the playoff picture until, like, early February. Given the way the Metro's shaken out, and it's, uh, that would not be surprising. Well, Washington, I didn't expect Washington to be that good this year, and they certainly have been slow out of the gate. Pittsburgh, that one's really surprising me. But, uh, I mean, you have the Devils, who are just playing, like, world beaters right now. The Islanders, who have slowly bounced back. Hurricanes, I mean, they're probably the most consistent. The Rangers have surprised me, though. They're actually, I picked them to win the cup, and they've lost three in a row. Six, so. five, and three? Eh. Yeah, they've uh, they've surprised me a lot. In Columbus, I mean, they were kind of my pick to be the worst team in the Metro from the beginning, so. Hmm. Yeah. Johnny Goudreau, how many? Less than a point per game so far. So. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, five well, goals, nine points, and uh, twelve games for Johnny Gaudreau. Not bad, though. Not None bad. of which are on the power play. Wow. But I mean, like, I don't know who he's playing with right now. I think Liney's hurt, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, Patrick Lane. Five hurt. goals would tie Konechny for the team lead, and nine points would be third behind Konechny and Hayes. Do you still regret not getting him? I'm more angry at uh, DeBrincat than I am Johnny Gaudreau. I think that's been the case since uh, day one. Oh, Line isn't. So he's playing with Boone Jenner and Patrick Line. Boone Jenner. Boone Jenner and Line. Gustav Nyquist. Jesus, I didn't know he was still playing hockey. Roslovic. Uh, this is an ugly forward group. <laughs> this is really unfortunate. Isn't Igor Trinikov a defenseman? What? Is he always no, a that's a Ga- No, that's a Gavrikov. Yeah. Screw me, then. They have a lot of injuries. I mean, not really. Oh, Vorchek's hurt, actually. Hmm. He's on the top power play in Nicodrill. Yeah, with uh, Roslevic and Jenner, Line A, Wierenski. I do like Zach Wierenski a lot. 
Blackenberg? That's not a real name. Blankenberg? <laughs> Nick Blankenberg? Huh. Columbus will always be the team for obscure players. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like just like random dudes. Safe bet more often than not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. I guess we'll uh, call it a day here. Uh, Columbus game tonight. Ottawa on Saturday. There's Drew things. Um, everyone be nice to Claude Giroux, huh? That's all. Applaud for him when he comes back. I'll be interesting to see the reaction on that one. Well, I think anything. I still love Giroux. I don't give a shit what the fuck anybody says. Uh, still my, still my favorite. But uh, you know, we shall see. See how the reaction goes. Now, don't boo him like you did Ryan Ellis. You fucking animals. Jesus. Yeah, that was that was tough. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, at Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Pocket, Brotherly underscore pod. Plenty of stuff on the website, brotherlypocket.com. You can check that out. The uh, 23-24 opening lineup piece uh, they wrote on Monday. That's up there. The Larkin-Posternock, Timo Mier editions, if you want to go uh, figure out how I can dance through those hoops. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Adamarco25. All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good night.